Lord God, thank you for the privilege it is uh, for us to join together. Thank you for what brings us together, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's his teachings. It's his way of life. It's his love. Oh, Father, this morning we want to grow in all of that. We want to grow in our understanding. We want to grow in the way that we man, uh, just manifest that in our daily lives. I thank you for your servant, Vincent. Thank you for the ways that you've worked in his heart and life. Lord, thank you for the message that you've placed upon his heart for us today. We commit him to your hands, and thank you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pat. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you. Um, I want to thank uh, Pat and PCPC for allowing me to come. I enjoy my time, the times that I come, and the times that you have me back. And as I say, I don't know how many times I've been here now, but you keep you have me back, and so whatever I say is your fault. Um, <laughs> you have to take responsibility for it. Um, when Pat mentioned to me what your um, your topic was uh, for this summer, um, I said yes. I'm I am all in. Um, I was nine years old. And nine or ten years old, <coughs> with a group of friends of friends of mine riding our bicycles in a brand new bike trail in Washington D.C. through Fort Dupont Park. Fort Dupont Park is a very, I don't know, it's probably 100 acres or so. I don't know how many acres it is. It's probably uh, very wooded in the midst of a neighborhood. I lived in Washington D.C. I was born and raised there. And they put a nice new bright bike trail through there. It was surrounding a golf course, nine-hole golf course. And, um, and we were just riding. We took a stop in the middle of the woods somewhere. And we, um, we walked off in the path, boys in the woods, having a good time. I ran across, we ran across our first play, Playboy magazine. It became the object of our interest. I don't know if we liked riding the, riding our bikes through the trail, or we left it there, and we would take our ride through the park. That was my first encounter with pornography, um, and it has been a challenge in my life. So whatever I say today, um, I have walked through. Whatever challenges I have faced, um, whatever challenges they, um, I faced them in this struggle. Um, over the years, I've gone years, years, literally years in that struggle. And then I've struggled. And I've gone another set of years in struggle. Uh, um, I'm, I can't, I cannot explain that other than to say a couple of things. One, sin lies deep within me. Two, um, I live by the grace of God. He is merciful. Um, thirdly, it has, the struggle has exposed for me what I, what I have come to call um, What's the word? You've heard of the seven deadly sins? If you haven't, look them up. 
that I'm not going to talk about them today. Um, but there was a there was a desert father named Evagoras who outlined these. Who was a desert monk uh, who outlined these particular sins that were deadly in a in a person's life. One of them is not talked about uh, much anymore. It's called acedia, and I suffer from acedia. Um, I like the King James word for it, but it does not, uh, it does not fully encompass what um, my experience is. Slothfulness, I love that word. It just runs, it spits. I get to spit when I say that word. Slothfulness. Um, it is, acedia is an unwillingness to struggle. It's better known as the noonday devil. When a monk um, out in the desert by himself, they lived in cave cells, they called them cells, they would um, <clears throat> be living by themselves. And generally around noonday, after they got up and prayed and did what they, they would struggle to stay in their cell. They wanted to leave their um, it was a struggle. They did not want to struggle with the struggle of staying in the cell and staying with God. They wanted to get out in the world and see what was available. They wanted to end the struggle. And so it happened generally around noonday. Uh, I, I've determined that I, I suffer with acedia. I don't want to struggle. I believe that's why the Lord has left this particular area in my life here. He has not delivered me. He has not delivered me. And so I struggle. Pat, regardless of what he had to say, I listened to his, his, uh, his lesson last time. And... Uh, it was, it was challenging. It was good. I learned some stuff, and I appreciate him. I'm going to piggyback off of your verse, your main verse. It's written on top of the outline I have there. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Then John 7, 37 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Psalm 27, for one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Pat talks about last week and this, he talked about desire. Today I just want to talk about surfing for God. That's what's on the top of this thing. And let me just tell you what I, my proposal to you and I want you to consider is simply this. If 
whether it's pornography or any other struggle you have that is outside the boundaries of God's will for your life. You're not looking for that thing that you so desire. You're looking for God. Thomas Aquinas and Augustine, even from Augustine on, have always argued, uh, and I believe it is true, that there is, and I found it in my own life, that there is a place in our hearts that can only be filled by God. If we can, it is a God-placed, a God-designed hole that can only be filled by him. When you try to fill it with anything other than him, it's idolatry. We have, he placed in us this hunger and thirst for him. And, and mankind attempts to fill that with any and everything other than him. The struggle with lust is a real one, uh, especially for men. But I'm coming to learn that men and women, feminism or whatever, this is equal opportunity. Uh, for men, though, it, it plays out in different, at different avenues. But Pat talks about last week, he did a good, a good study on this word desire. In its, in its Greek form, it is, nine times out of 10, it's used in a negative sense. Nine times out of 10, it's a negative sense. It, this word desire. If you put, look down there somewhere, I said there's a difference between a desire and a thirst. Um, a desire is an inordinate, self-indulgent craving that displaces proper affections for God. It's unrestrained longing for something forbidden. It's an intense desire for a particular thing. Intense longing. I shouldn't have put longing. I prefer the word. I think it would be helpful if we use the word craving. Several translations use the word lust in the first John passage. My argument to you this morning is probably based on, um, it's based on this quote that I have here from Bruce Marshall. It's attributed to, to G.K. Chesterton, but I found that was not correct. Bruce Marshall wrote in a novel, um, he put it in these words of a, of a priest who had, was being challenged by this woman, I guess they would say, of ill repute. He says, I still prefer to believe that sex is a substitute for religion and that the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. There lies within us, as Augustine says, this hunger and this thirst for him. And any time we try to find it in any other area of our life, in, in any other way other than through him and through our worship of him, it leads to idolatry which is sin. So when a man is surfing the internet, I do believe he's looking for God. When a man is, you know, when I, you have to, I had to ride the bike and find the Playboy magazine 
Now I have a 16-year-old son, and it seeks out him. This pornography piece, this, it seeks him out. I had to seek it out. Now it seeks my, my son. But there's it, there is this, in the original language, in this first John passage, this desire, desire for the flesh, desire of the eyes, this pride of life, it's inordinate, it's, it's out of bounds. It seeks wrong. It seeks, it's a craving that displaces God. And so this thing, this lust that we have um, that is not limited to, to, to pornography, adultery or sexual sin, um, is, I believe, a search for God. There's something deeper that we're looking for. There's something more than a one-time look, than a one-time encounter. There's something more. And what I would challenge you, as I have been challenged, over these years is to discover what you're really looking for. What do you really want? What are you really after? I believe there's a difference between a desire in the biblical sense, here that is the word is used nine times out of ten in the scripture, and thirst. Thirst is a legitimate need. It's a legitimate God-given need. Jesus on the cross says, I thirst. Yes, it was for physical water. His body craved. It's one of the side effects of crucifixion. He also says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. He says, if you're thirsty, John 7, Come to me. Isaiah, come to me, all who are thirsting. Jesus desires to satisfy this thirst that we have. Desires, in the biblical sense, are out of bounds. Thirst, legitimate, God-given needs. Thirst can move to craving. To desires in the biblical sense, which is sin. And so the question, the question I have for you and for me and for all of us, what do we do with our legitimate thirst? On the outline is a little chart there. I believe that there is a connection. Now, forgive me, I'm um, no, don't forgive me. It's just kind of my thought on it. You can take it and leave it. Do what you want with it. In 1 John 2.16, that's what he says. I'm sorry, I got 2.26 down there. I typed it wrong. It's 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things there, they are desired. They are illegitimate. They are inordinate. They are cravings. I believe that there's some matchup. There is some, 
there is some connection between the temptation that Christ experienced in the wilderness after 40 days. There were three. You, you familiar with them? In Matthew chapter 4, he says simply, uh, after 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. And the tempter came to him, if you are the son of man, God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but at every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's a thirst for physical satisfaction. It's normal. He needed, he, he was hungry, he hadn't eaten anything. And Satan shows up and tempts him with the legitimate need that he has. The fast is over. He has a legitimate need for hunger, of hunger, to be satisfied. The temptation, though, is to satisfy self. To satisfy self outside the will of God. Satan tempted him to use his power to satisfy his legitimate need outside of God's will. I believe that pornography and inordinate lust is the same. It is an attempt to satisfy self. It is, it is lust is egocentric. It is a desire, it is a thirst for intimacy. That's where the hunger is. Intimacy is a God-given thirst. It, uh, but, but lust undermines the very thing that we look for. We're looking for intimacy, we're trying to find it in illegitimate ways, and it undermines it. One author says it's a game of solitaire. Lust is a devaluation of the body. It's a humiliation of the flesh. So I believe that that desire for the flesh in 1 John 2.16 somehow is connected to that temptation that Jesus went to, through in the wilderness, after his wilderness experience. It's a counterfeit, it's a counterfeit good. Satan is a counterfeiter. Second one, desires of the eyes. It's a search for significance. It's this, it's this thing that I, I want to be important. I want to be seen. I believe that that's a legitimate God-given thirst. I don't think the search for significance is out of bounds. It gets out of bounds when we search for it without the aid and assistance and guidance and the, under the will of God. I love it. Jesus goes to these disciples and he says, these disciples come to him, I'm sorry. He says, can I sit at your right and your left, John and Son of Thunder, James and John. Uh, their mother had something to do with that request. They didn't deny it. They didn't say, Mama, shut up. Go on. Go ahead. Um, disciples, the other ten got upset. I noticed that Jesus did not. 
Jesus did not rebuke them for their desire for significance, their thirst to sit on the right and the left in seats of prominence. He, he redirected it. You want to be great? Fine. You want to be significant? Fine. You want to sit next to me? Fine. Now he said, no, I can't. That's not for my, me to give it to you. He says, if you do want that, then, then serve. If you want to be great, then serve. He does, not, he does not rebuke them for their desire to be significant, to have a name. He says to them, if this is what you want, those who desire, who thirst for greatness, then serve. A legitimate thirst. Use the language I put out there. God-given peace that he has for us, that we do, that we use for our own purposes. Thirdly, this desire or this pride of life, I believe that matches up with this temptation that Jesus was uh, thrown at by Satan to to worship, we have to worship. We can't help but worship. We're created to worship. We have to worship. We get to choose, though, who and what we worship. Who are you worshiping? Do you worship at the altar of the internet? Worship at the altar of your job, your career, your business, your family. Do you worship the, at the altar of your church? All of those we are tempted. Jesus was tempted. You know it. The last one, he says, devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to them, him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Anything we worship other than the true and living God, anything we will adjust our lives to in order to get, other than God is worship. I teach tithing at the Golden Gate Church not because I believe that it is a New Testament command. I believe it is something that um, I teach the Golden Gate Church that uh, you ought to tithe because tithing is the training wheels for, um, for giving, for generosity. Training wheels, yeah, training wheels. To give 2%, anything less than, I believe that in order to give 10% of your income, and my wife had to teach me 30 years ago when we got married, I was giving off the net. She said it was the gross, and we had a huge argument. <laughs> she won. <laughs> um, 
10% is a good figure that you have to adjust your life. You don't have to adjust too much to give 1, 2, 5%. But in order to give 10%, you're going to have to make some adjustments. You have to give up something. You have to go without something. You're going to have to choose this over that. 10% is the minimum, in my opinion. If I refuse to do it, I didn't see if I could, if I refuse to do it, then there's something else I'm worshiping. There's someone else other than that I'm worshiping. I can worship my pain and my, the hurt of my past. There's so many things that we give priority to other than our relationship with God. How do I worship my pain? When I refuse to receive the forgiveness of God that he offers to me daily. When I continue to nurse my hurt and refuse to forgive the person that hurt me, and I choose, even though I have been victimized, I choose to be a victim. So I have a choice. Am I going to worship myself? Satan says to worship me, himself. It's counterfeit worship. All of these. So as you go through the rest of this summer, just the point I, the main point I want to leave you with this is, is with this. Especially in this area of lust. There is, that's the outward behavior. There's something that's driving you to that. You know it's wrong. You are guilty. You feel guilty and shame every time you do it. And you keep going back. over and over again. And the shame, the guilt, and the shame, after a while, you mess around and become numb to it. There's something, that's the outward behavior, there is something below the surface that you want, that you desire, I believe that it's a legitimate need. I believe that it's God-given. I believe that if you discover what that need is, that true thirst of your heart is, and you allow God to satisfy, you'll be set free from the bondage, that we all find ourselves in. Pat said it last week. Pornography, lust may not be your thing. You better figure out what yours is. Because you're a man, you are human, and you have legitimate needs, and we all seek 
in some area of our lives to seek to fulfill a legitimate need or thirst outside of God's will. Everybody. We're human. We are broken. And the only way we can overcome is to allow God. Let me close with this. And then I just want to I ask Pat if I could just do a little Q&A with you. If you had some questions for me, any thoughts or something, and then there's some questions down there that you can go around your table. And some I asked questions for discussion at the table and questions for discussion with God at home. <laughs> um, C.S. Lewis says we'd rather, we, we'd much rather play with make mud pies. He says, Our de- rather than, I don't know why I didn't write this quote down. I've preached two sermons on it. <laughs> and it's just failed me now. He basically said our desires, that we don't hunger enough for God, that our desires are inadequate. He says a kid, he's, he used an illustration, I guess, of a kid who would rather make mud pies than go on a cruise somewhere, or go travel the world, that his desires are not strong enough. And so we settle for something less when God offers us something more. Pornography, sexual sin, legitimate needs, but our desires are not great enough. They won't go beyond God, what God has to offer. He offers us, he offers us himself. And that's why David says in Psalm 27, one thing I have desired of the Lord, I've asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It says, one thing I've asked, one thing I've sought after is to be with him. And if there's one thing I learned, and now that I'm pushing 60, kissing it so close, um, that the only thing that will make me successful, that, it, that my metric for success has changed. It used to be that I grew a, big, a great church not a big church, but a bigger than what it is. Um, my desire would be that I would have a loving, passionate relationship with my wife. We wouldn't, uh, that my children would rise up and call me a great daddy. Um, that I'd probably live a comfortable life. Those things I looked at, some of those were not, I don't, I didn't believe they were selfish at the time. Um, So many of my desires for success, my metrics have changed, especially in the pastorate. I have one metric now, one, one thing that will help me to define success in my life. I've narrowed it down, that I would be with God. That's the outcome. He came to be with me. He hung, bled, died, was buried, and rose from the grave so that he could be with me. 
and I could be with him. And when I read Revelation, that's, that's the end of it. He says <laughs> that we might be with him. That's it. And the marvelous thing about God is that he wants, I don't know why, he wants to be with me. How do I know? He sent his son. He went all, he did all of that so that I could be with him. Be in his presence. So, Ultimately, my hunger and thirst is for him. My heart will not be satisfied until my heart rests in him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the day. Thank you for our moment. These few moments, I pray something has been said that would encourage and place the struggles that we have in perspective. Bless these men. Bless this church. Thank you for Pat men's ministry leadership here. Pray now as we go into discussion that you would open um, hearts and minds that there would be um, a level of transparency that only you can provide that will bring freedom for all who struggle. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Two, two questions. For, you can do it at the table, whatever you want to get to. Uh, am I completely honest with God? Am I completely honest regarding my behavior? And I should have said, I, I don't know how. See, that's the second thing. Is there somebody that you're completely honest with regarding your behavior? I'm not asking you to share who. I'm just asking you, are you completely honest with somebody regarding your struggle? Two, from the list below, some of these are what Pat gave, and I just added a couple of more. From the list below, share one desire that lies below the surface of your life. What are you really looking for? This may help you to dig deeper. And then these questions that you ought to answer with, ask with God, what am I doing that, that demonstrate ungodly desires? What are my actions? What do my actions tell me about what I truly believe? What, li what lies do my actions tell me I believe about God? What do my beliefs tell me what I really desire? My beliefs point to my desires, what wounds or pain in my life is unresolved? What is the connection between my wounds or pain and my acting out? Just something for you to consider on your way home. Before I sit down, any, just anybody want to feedback, talk? Yes. Lord, why are you going to ask me that? <laughs> and it was, let's pray. The question was, and this is for the tape, is that what I need? 
but it it, the question is, I'm just re rephrasing, Matt. Um, how do I engage my son um, in this area, whether it's pornography or some other area? How do I address it with him? One, um, for me, I have to talk directly to him. I just have to be straight up. Um, I, I have to say to him a couple of things. One, that daddy has struggled with this. And so this is a very real thing. And there have been seasons in my life where it has put me in bondage. So because I don't want Satan to get to him through me. Anything I hide like that, it becomes a door for Satan. Um, and so first thing I do is confess to him. Secondly, I, I say to him, all right, bro, what you thinking about? But he's a preacher's kid, bless his heart. And, and, and uh, he knows the word. And he hasn't learned grace yet. He hadn't learned grace yet. He's a budding legalist because he knows the word. And he has an intense, my particular son has an intense, um, God-given, I believe, I know it's God-given, sense of righteousness. Because he'll defend his friend. He yet, he's got one of his best friends has three sisters, and his sisters were jumping on his best friend one day. And Makai got in a fight with his, his best friend, said, you don't treat my friend like that. You don't talk to him as and they were doing him wrong. I said, well, what is brother? That's they brother. <laughs> I know, daddy, but they were doing him wrong. Uh, he has to, and so I've got to, I've got to, so I address it directly. I talk about my own struggles. Um, and I legitimately, I say, look, you're at this age, and these are legitimate feelings, and these are legitimate emotions, and God has given them to you, this desire for sexual pleasure, and, and I just, I have to put it out there. I have to just be direct. And what I don't do is, I guess I'm a little bit like your dad, I don't do it regularly enough. I don't do it regularly enough. I've done it more than one time, but I don't do it regularly. Because I don't know what that brother's dealing with. One time is not enough. Anybody else? Yes. Oh, gosh. You on the finance committee. <laughs> Tithing, tithing works on that I doubt that other idol. You know, we, we don't think money is uh, 
our money is, a, is an idol. It's a rival God. Jesus said, you can either serve me or mammon. And to think that, and in this American culture, that is so, it is, we are the richest nation in the world. I believe, it, I know that we are the richest and most prosperous nation, I believe, that there ever has been. And those, those riches are spread, even though the wealth gap is huge and growing now in the last 20 to 30 years in this country. I, but at the same time, the, there are more people who have been uh, relieved of poverty and financial stress in this country than there ever has been. And because of that, we've lost our way. And I believe that tithing, it is a gateway. I mean, give money, it is a gateway to allow opening ourselves up to be used by God and to get this particular thing that is, and I'm going to be honest with you, Dallas got it bad. Because Dallas is a very successful city. I'm not a Texan. I'm proud of not being a Texan. <laughs> I got three of us in here. I'm proud of it. Man. But when I went on a sabbatical a couple years ago, I, my first place I went was California. I'd never been to Big Sur. I'd never seen trees whose trunks was twice as big as this circle. I, it, it, California was just absolutely beautiful. Where I went, Big Sur and all of that stuff. Stayed on the Pacific Coast Highway with a bunch of monks. And, and, and then I came back to Texas, and I drove <laughs> to somewhere in, in uh, north of San Antonio. And I didn't go 35. I went the back roads. I guess it was 280-something. And I said, just, just land and land. Ain't no tree. Tree about as tall as this building, mate. I said, this ain't nothing. It's just, it's just stark contrast. And it, what it gave me was a deeper appreciation of Texans and Texans. Y'all made something out of nothing. <laughs> nothing. Tell me why Dallas is here. What, is, what commends this place? I'm from Washington, D.C. I go 80 miles to the east, and I get to the ocean. I go 60 miles to the west, I get these beautiful mountains. I go 500 miles from here, and I get nothing. <laughs> you built something out of nothing. That's Texas pride. That's Texas all of that. And... It's man's ingenuity, God-given, that it is out of place. It is fostered a pride. It is fostered a pride rooted in Dallas class and power and money. Just my take. Yes, sir. Yours was a glance, huh? 
Yes, sir. What's my definition of sexual sin? Um, That's the question. The example was, you know, looking at a woman, you taking a glance, your friend observing God's beauty, (laughs) physical beauty of this woman. Don't go by me. Go by the word of God. All right? Sexual sin. Anything outside of the the God-honoring, biblically-based relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. God designed for my sexual desires, urges, satisfaction, only to be met in the context of one man, one woman, that's a big deal, though. Man, male and female, in the context of marriage. Any satisfaction out of that from masturbation on is outside God's will. Anything else, I'm trying to satisfy self only. That's what lust is. Lust is this self-satisfaction. It's not about the other person. It's not about God. I hope that... I try to keep it basic. Anything outside of my my relationship with my wife is out of bounds. Is that it? All right. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your morning.